Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my running friends. How are you doing today? Welcome to the Run Run Live podcast. I'm going to call this one 5-483. It's winter here in New England, where I live. The shortest days of the year are upon us. Yeah, the seasons change and so do I, which is a lyric from a song by the Guess Who called No Time from an album called Canned Wheat released in 1969, and the Guess Who was an influential Canadian rock band from Winnipeg, of all places. You may remember Randy Bachman from the band, who went on to success with Bachman-Turner Overdrive, another great Canadian band. Apologies for not getting a show out. I have ideas in my head. I just don't have the animation or the time to write them down and record. But something is always better than nothing, they say. Although the older I get, the more I understand the value of nothing as well. (laughs) Today I'm going to catch you up on a few races I've run and some other stuff as I work my way into shape for my next race, which on paper is the Napa Valley Marathon in March. And one of the interesting things is that now that I have put my Boston Marathon ambitions aside as a goal race... It frees up a lot of time on the calendar. I can add more fun stuff and travel races and stuff like that. So this year, my wife and I will head out to Napa Valley to run the race and hang around in wine country, because that sounds like fun to her. Because my friend's life is short, memento mori. So first up, I ran a Thanksgiving 5K. Yeah, I did. And I did a lot better than I thought I would. This is the Air Fire Department 5K. I've been running since it started back, you know, gosh, probably in the early 2000s. It's a it's a good it's in a good spot on the calendar because it's late enough to be after and not conflict with any fall event on my calendar that I would traditionally be training for. And it fits into one of those between-season windows where I'm not really training and I can run whatever I want. This race, like most 5Ks, has always terrified me, just a little bit, because I don't run a lot of 5Ks. I haven't for decades, and I don't train for 5Ks. It's, it's a really short distance for me. 
for a 5K, you're basically running as hard as you can right out of the start. It's just abnormal for me to try to run that fast. <laughs> so that being said, I have run hundreds of short races over the years, and I started running in high school cross country way back when, and all those races were super short. So I do know how to run a short race. You know, it's pretty simple. You just go out hard and you try to hang on. That's just a whole lot of discomfort <laughs> where I am in my life and not something I really look forward to. So yeah, it always gave me a little bit of trepidation to have to line up on Thanksgiving morning for a 5K and do it, do it justice. And one of the big challenges I have these days is warming up. And I know from tracking my heart rate data during my training is that it takes a full 15 to 20 minutes for my cardiovascular system to get going. And for a 5K, that means basically I'm finished before I warm up. But these 5Ks are more social events for me. All my friends from my club, they're at the race. It's good to see everyone. It's the holiday. We get a little exercise. Then we go and eat some turkey. And to be honest, I'm operating with a clean slate since the knee injury, the knee issue of the last few years. So my goals are very simple. It's have fun and don't hurt yourself. But there's always that, you know, lingering animus in the back of your mind that says, hey, it's a race. We need to be racing. So I picked up my number the night before to avoid the morning crush, and we had a nice, cold, dry morning. I got there early enough to run a bit of a warm-up, because I wanted to run a warm-up before jumping into this 5K. And in fact, I timed it so well that I was worried I was going to miss the start of the race. I jogged an out-and-back, a simple out-and-back from the back of the corral, and I was looking at my watch coming back, and I'm like, wow, this is going to be close. And I ran right into the back of the corral, right into the starting line from the back. Uh, with less than three minutes till the gun, cut it close. But the good news is it seemed to help a lot. I got a decent probably one-and-a-half-mile warm-up, and then I got right into the start nice and warm. I was not racing from the front, so I took a slot somewhere in the middle to the back of the pack. And there's something, you know, probably more than 500 people in this race. Lots of kids, lots of random citizens have probably only run this race, you know, once a year. This is their only race. They run it with their family every year. And I love the kids, you know, because they go out like their hair's on fire. And then you start catching them <laughs> after the first mile or so, and they look so sad. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out easy as I could muster, right? I, I've been doing some training at a tempo pace, so I was trying to find what felt like a 75 to 80% effort tempo type pace to start to not totally burn out. And of course, the first mile I looked at my watch and I was going a little bit fast, but I held the effort and the pace well enough and I never went deep into the pain cave. The knee was achy, but it behaved. And I ended up finishing with a pace that actually surprised me. It was much quicker than I thought that effort would yield for the shape I'm in. And here you see my new reality and the wonderfully positive impact of reduced expectations. Here's a race pace that would have been terribly disappointing in another lifetime, but now it's quite unexpected. It's pleasing. The power of lowering your expectations. Running unexpectedly well in a race is a mixed bag, though. 
It feels great, but then it starts to give you ideas. Well, if I could do that, what else could I do? And I need to quiet those voices. I need to be careful and stay within my constraints. The second race I ran last weekend was the two-and-a-half-mile leg of the Mill Cities Relay. This is our, our club race to wrap up the season. All the clubs get together, and we run this 28-mile course along the Merrimack River from Lawrence, or sorry, from Hudson, New Hampshire to uh, Lawrence, or Nashua, New Hampshire uh, to Lawrence, right along the river. And here's another challenge with me and my buddies all getting older, is that it's hard to find enough runners to fill a team now. Uh, one of my running crew, one of my my regulars, has been having a bit of AFib problem. Sound familiar? Yeah. And he couldn't run. So I sourced another runner from our club, but then she tripped on a training run days before the race and broke her arm, and I needed a, a sub. And I had to go pretty deep in my network, but luckily my network of runners is deep. So we got a sub, and we had a pretty good team. And of course, that didn't keep us from blowing both of my handoffs. And this is a this is kind of a funny story, both in, yeah, we blew both the handoffs, but nobody cared, and it didn't detract from our experience, right? So I was running the third leg, the short leg, not because I'm any good at shorter distances, but because no one else wanted to do it. And I'm the captain, so, you know, it defaults to me. The short leg ends up being the hardest one logistically because it's, well, short. And we had some coordination challenges at the first handoff because my number one runner was going to leave straight from the exchange. He had another thing to get to. So I drove his car to the exchange, and I met my number two runner, who was the sub, and had been dropped at the exchange by his wife. We co connected the two of them, sorted everything out, jumped in the pursuit vehicle, headed to exchange two, where I would grab the baton. And as we pulled into the exchange, I asked the car, I said, how much time do I have? And someone said, eh, you got about 15 minutes. So I jumped out and said, well, I'll keep it safe and I'll do a 10-minute warm-up. So I was coming back from my warm-up, which actually was only at 7 minutes and 40 seconds of that proposed 15-minute or the adjusted 10-minute, and I was doing a final pickup, a final surge into the exchange area to cap off my pickup, and I was met by a screaming race official, actually several screaming race officials, 171, your runner is here, okay, okay, chill. So once again, I ran straight from my warm-up into the race from a from a little surge right into the race leg. And I tried to hold good form and not blow up. I got passed a lot, I think. I don't really know. But I, I noticed that the pursuit car never passed me. So those, those guys never passed me. So I suspected that I might not have anyone to hand off to at the end, which was fine. That realization, that knowledge kept me from killing myself in the last few hundred yards into the exchange. And sure enough, I did stand around a few minutes waiting for my runner to show up. And again, the race officials were much more excited about this than I was. So yeah, we blew both my handoffs. But you know what? Nobody cared. We were out there to have fun. And our lackadaisical approach to the logistics actually put an exclamation point on that. We had a good time. I think we were still the fastest team from our club. We ran somewhere around a 324 for 28 miles. And that's it for this year. That wraps up this year's racing calendar, except for one race, a traditional race. 
Only race I have left, and it's more of a fun run, and that being the 10th anniversary of the Groton Marathon. So at the Groton Marathon, actually no one is running a full marathon. I put the kibosh on that, but a bunch of us from my club will show up and we'll do a variety of distances. We'll have a little get-together. We'll drink some hot chocolate. We'll have fun. We set up our race clock. Uh, it's traditionally held on the last Sunday morning of December. And this year, that means December 31st or New Year's Eve day. And I'm going to run the half marathon. So just a refresher, for those of you who haven't been listening for decades and decades, the Groton Marathon came about because of the events of 2013 at the Boston Marathon. I was a little freaked out by, so I decided or started <laughs> running a marathon a month, probably for mental fitness more than anything else. And I had a race scheduled in December in Indiana, a trail race that got snowed out. So I needed a December marathon. So I made up my own and went out with my buddies and ran a marathon in December. And since then, we have it as sort of a commemorative club fun run every year. Just have something to do in the dead of winter. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Alrighty then, my good old running buddies. I'm going to make some assumptions. If you have been with me on this journey for the last couple decades, well, you're probably old. Old as dirt. Old as the mountains. Old as the universe. Therefore, I believe I can shift my attention, my topics, to things that old people are interested in. And this week, I give you my thoughts on retirement. Some people look forward to retirement. Some people are terribly afraid of it. Most people just ignore the concept altogether until they find themselves retired. And as confused as an old bear woken up in the middle of his hibernation, kicked out of his den into the cold, harsh winter sun. But retirement like death comes for us all. Personally, over the past few years, I have looked forward to retirement. I'm not there yet, but I see it as a mythical time of infinite freedom, where I can do the things I always wanted to, but didn't have the time. You know? Like work out and write. That's my retirement plan. Work out and write and podcast. Work out and write and podcast and read. You know, stuff like that. And travel. Well, I have lots of ideas. But my point is, as you get closer to retirement age, it changes the way you look at the world. It shifts what you value and what your priorities are. It shifts the urgencies of life. It's not scary, per se, but it is something new, and it's worth some consideration, some thought, and some words. How to retire well? That becomes the question. And it's funny how most of us in Western society, anyhow, have been sold a version of life that goes something like this. You get born, you grow up, you go to school, you go to college, you get married, you get a job, you have kids, you work. And if you make good choices and you are reasonably lucky or competent, at a certain age, you can retire. That's the deal. You do your part, Mr. Worker B, and you will be rewarded with retirement. 
Heaven help those who stray from this path. You will become an outlier, an outcast from society. You will be living in the alleyways, picking out of trash cans. Yeah, I suppose we could debate the value of this version of a normal life. And maybe we'll come back to that because I think there is much to be discussed there. Like how outliers and mutations to the set path create some of the most beautiful stories and outcomes, or or how there can be purpose and beauty and simplicity of choice. But that's not today's topic. Today's topic is that last bit. You get to a certain age and retire. Next question is when. And I found this to be the focus of most pre-retirement conversations I've had. When can I retire? When should I retire? And typically, this is boiled down to a conversation about money. Somehow, when filtered through the weird commerce of our world, the question gets changed to, when will I have enough money to retire? Which I guess is a reasonable question, but it's not the same as the initial question, which was, when can I retire? I think the, when will I have enough money to retire question comes from the financial planning industry. If you ask a financial planner, of course, they will say, you'll never have enough money to retire because that's how they make their money. If you ask the government, they don't want you to retire either. It's in everybody's best interest for you to keep working hard and contributing right up until the end. Right up until you kick the bucket. And by the end, I mean the real end, not retirement. But here's the real, unvarnished, unpolished, untreated, unambiguous truth. The truth is, believe it or not, you can retire anytime you want. Nobody's stopping you. They can't make you work. But I won't be able to pay my bills. Yeah, okay, but that's different. I mean, yeah, depending on your circumstances, you may starve. You may lose your house, and your kids may be thrown out of that expensive school, but those are all choices. Again, you're confusing retirement with earnings. I bet if you thought hard enough, you could find a way to live on what you have. And then there's the comical government definition of retirement. Of course, I can only talk to what the United States government rules for retirement are. In the United States, we have a system where you get to a retirement age, you are given a fixed income based on what your earnings were during your lifetime. And you can start collecting it when you get to age, I think it's 62 or 62 and a half. But the longer you wait, the more you get. And the most you can get is at 67 years old. But why 62? Well, because when they created the law, no one lived much longer than 62 years old. It's insurance logic. It's based on statistics. And again, the government wants you to keep productive until you die. I won't beat a dead horse, but when it comes to retirement, make sure you're asking the right question. It's really not about money. I would bet most people are avoiding retirement out of fear. They have no idea what they're going to do if they don't have that 9-to-5 job to give them purpose. So in the end, retirement, like life, is about finding purpose. And that's hard. I, I admit it, it's hard. What's different today, though, is weird that people live longer. You might get 20, 30 years of life after you retire. The financial planners, they are saying 99 years old. They, they are giving you a retirement plan that gets you to 100 now. So with that, retirement becomes more of a second life than a brief spell before you kick the bucket. And with all that potential free time to fill, you need a plan. 
and probably not a financial plan, a purpose plan. Because just like life, you probably don't want to wait for an epiphany. You can start working on a plan. The worst thing you can do when you retire is nothing. (laughs) Those are the people who fade away and die. They invested all of themselves in work and life and family, and when the work is gone, they have no purpose. Sitting on the couch all day eating chips and watching soap operas is just as bad for you. It's just as bad a lifestyle in retirement as it is in your first life. So what do you do while you're waiting for that epiphany? You can go looking for it. Seriously, get out, get engaged, find something to do, and live. And this is part of the planning part. Make a list of all the things you've ever wanted to do or or know or see or whatever and just start brainstorming, start planning. Do you want to travel? Are there events you've always wanted to do? Make that list. What new things do you want to learn? Make that list. What are the things you never had time for? Make that list. And this is your homework. Compile that big, long list of potential things to pursue now so that you have something to aim for in retirement. And another thing you will realize when you start making this list is that you need to be physically fit or at least healthy enough to move around to do many of these things. You're not going to live forever. And this is where being an athlete, having a healthy lifestyle, will hopefully pay off. With any luck, we get a few more years of ambulatory drug-free lifestyle than the fast food couch potatoes. But the clock is ticking, so do those things first. Hike the trails, ride across the country, do all those things on your list. That's your homework. Make this list. Start planning, ask the right questions, and don't ignore thinking about what your second life is going to be. And before I move you to the exit, there is one more thing. Friends. The people who live the longest in retirement have lots of friends, lots of social engagement, so you need those connections. So as you start your planning, as you are making your lists, think hard about how you will build or join or maintain that community that you can be part of. Open up that old address book, invite some people out to dinner, go to one of those events that you get invited to all the time. Open up, let people in. Build people who you like to spend time with into your life. Relationships can, of course, can be tasking and difficult, but hey, they'll keep you alive too. So I hope that helps you to consider and think about retirement. It's all good. It's all an opportunity. And I look forward to uh, sharing my plans with you as well. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. So thank you for lending me your ears, my friends. And when I am retired, one of the things I may focus on is more podcasting. I have started a training cycle for the Napa Valley Marathon on March 3rd, like I said. We'll see how it goes. I get flashes of fitness where I bust out one of these fantastic training runs, especially in this cold weather. And then I have these workouts where I have no energy, everything hurts, and it fights me the whole way. Ollie the Collie is doing very well. He does all my training with me. He's turned into a great runner and a great running partner. I'm going to have to change his nickname from Ollie the Killer Collie 
to Brother Ollie because he's he's become quite a mature adult border collie. Ollie is probably one of those topics I'll explore in future episodes, explore more. We haven't gotten the super cold weather yet. It's been hovering around freezing, plus or minus 10 degrees. We haven't gotten any snow, so the trails are still passable. But we had so much rain this season that there are still a lot of soft spots to navigate until we get that hard freeze. Then it will firm up. This might be the last time you hear from me before the holidays, probably. I have some adventures queued up for the new year. I hope you, my old running friends, find peace and joy and love and happiness and all those good things tucked away under your tree or under your candles and cherish your time, hold your loved ones close, and I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.